Well, today is Easter. It's a celebration of um, everything kind of culminating in what Jesus was doing. And it's an incredible thing. It's an amazing experience, and it's a, it's a big, big deal. It's, it's what we, we celebrate, everything that Jesus did, what he, he accomplished on the cross, and what came after that. But if we're not careful, and I think the problem is, is, that, is that if we're not careful, we put too much emphasis, too much energy, and too much time into Easter. I know that sounds weird, but it's, it's, it's the reason why churches are full today, because we put on our, our, you know, our, our ties, and we get all dressed up, and we get excited about the festivities, and we get all excited about resurrection, and although everything is absolutely pivotable on what happened with Jesus not being in the grave, it's only a small part of what's going on. And the problem is, is if we stay too focused in there, we can miss the bigger thing, the grander thing that Jesus is doing. Similar to this picture right here, this is earth. You have to take my word for it. You don't know it's earth. It, it's, maybe it's dirt. It's a part of earth. I say, this is earth, and, and look, it's amazing. Earth and all its a glamour, but there's no water here. We don't see any trees. We don't really see the magnificence of how beautiful or how big earth is. So then we go to the next picture, and we say, oh, okay, so it was earth. And as we just zooming out just a little bit, gave us a little bit larger picture of what was going on. But if we stop here and we stop at earth, we think, well, this is it. Earth is the point. There's nothing else around, and everything is, is, is centered on earth. But then we zoom out a little bit further, and we realize we're that little teeny, teeny dot in something bigger. And similar to Easter, I think if we're not careful, we spend so much time focusing on the resurrection, Jesus being raised from the dead, that we forget there was a whole bunch of stuff that built up to that. that you, there are plenty. In fact, there are three stories in the New Testament alone. There's Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' little daughter that all raised from the dead. And we don't get dressed up and, and, and have a celebration day for them. In fact, there's people that die in the hospitals daily that they bring back to life. And it's a very, very big deal. It's incredible. But we don't have days to celebrate that. Mainly because, really, the fact is, is, that, is that as big of a deal of resurrection is, it's kind of pointless, hear me out, apart from two other very churchy words, and that's incarnation and crucifixion. And so those are some churchy words, but incarnation is essentially, is essentially to, it means to become flesh. The incarnation is, of Jesus is when human nature, Jesus the man, was added to the nature of God. And so, so God willingly, the second person of the Trinity, so God willingly came down, encompassed all of Jesus, and so Jesus was fully divine and fully human. That's very, very key, because if he wasn't fully divine and fully human, then he couldn't really truly be a full sacrifice for our sins. See, so it's a very big picture, and, and, it's, it, and churches, we spend thousands and thousands of dollars, and some of you are here today for the first time because you're kind of paying your penance to God, like, I'll show up once a year, or maybe come on Christmas Eve too, because I like the stories. And we, we do all these things. It's not that it's bad to celebrate these days, but, but again, Jesus wasn't just about his resurrection. Remember, he came and lived a perfect life. About 33 years, never sinned once, both fully God and fully man. And why did he do that? For the crucifixion. Now, crucifixion was gruesome. And, and it's a really, really big deal. It's, it's, it's why it's, it's interesting to me that churches will pack out on, sand, on Sunday, but then they won't really show up or do much on, on Fridays. When really the, the point of Sunday is, is, is what happened and culminated on the cross on Friday. See, here's, here's the thing. If crucifixion was the most brutal way to be, be killed, and it was saved and reserved for the most ruthless enemies or, 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 or um, thieves or, or criminals out there, and Jesus hung on a cross that way. But him hanging on a cross, again, doesn't mean that much unless he is perfect. And because he was perfect, him hanging on a cross means a lot 
but it doesn't mean as much if he just stayed in the grave. So all three of them are a very, very big deal, and it's okay to celebrate each one, and it's not bad to want to have your festivities afterwards. I'm not saying like, you know, forget it, don't do anything. It's not bad to want to celebrate, celebrate this day because it is a very, very big thing. In fact, it's the culmination of what Jesus is doing. But I think Jesus is doing something very, very, very big, something very important that's going on. And it's another churchy word, so forgive me for that, but it's a word called redemption. See, redemption is, is essentially God bringing redemption to everything. It's, 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 it's um, deliverance or liberation procured by the payment of sin. So essentially what it means is it's being delivered from sin. It's a, it's a legal term and also a term of, of, of bringing back life. Redemption ultimately is the liberating of all that had become enslaved. See, in an instance, Jesus had liberated all that was enslaved, even death. But if we're really honest with ourselves, I think no matter what you believe, whether you, you come to church every Easter or you, you go every now and then or you... You spend some time talking to God in prayer, whether you never really ever spend any time in prayer with Him. If we're honest with ourselves, I think that most of us, we've fallen to a lesser hope. We've, we've allowed Jesus and everything He's done, done to shrink back, and we hope for something smaller. Just think about your lives. You hope for a, a healthy relationship. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. You hope for God to restore those, and those are all beautiful things. Maybe your hope is, is for a job to be secured or for your job to go better or for finances to come in place or for maybe it's just I need a home or you're, or you're trying to have a child or maybe it's to, to bring your children back to the Lord, the ones that are run. And all these are hopes are beautiful and amazing in it themselves, but they're still less than what Jesus is doing. And it's not bad to hope for any one of those things, but if that's all your hope is in, then you're missing the bigger picture. You focused too close and you're staring at a piece of a clump of dirt and saying, this is the earth. You have to zoom out a little bit. In fact, even in Jesus' day, in fact, if you look at the Bible, you read the scriptures, God's people have been really, really good at minimizing what God is doing and missing the point. It's story after story. And in fact, we zoom out a little bit today at the story we're going to talk about today, you'll see again. And it's, it's two disciples of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And at this point, everything had happened. They had the celebration the week before where everyone was, yes, the triumphal entry, and everyone's saying, Hosanna, and everyone's excited. And then just five short days later, everyone's saying, crucify him, crucify him. To the walk into Jesus and seeing him breathe his last on the cross, and then the friends burying him in the tomb, and the disciples scattered going, what happened? And what happens on this road is, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 24. Verses 25 through 27. What happens is, is this is the end of it. And in Jerusalem, when you leave Jerusalem, Jerusalem is up on a hill, and so everything is always down. So when they say we're going to go up to Jerusalem, it's because they're literally going up. And this, this road to Emmaus was about seven miles, and it was downhill. And they're, they're trekking this way. They're, they're walking away, and these, two, these are two of Jesus' disciples. And it's important to know that these are two people that believed in Jesus. These are two people that walked with Jesus. These are two people that followed Jesus. They weren't just some people in the crowd that were out there going, hmm, this is interesting. These were people that knew him and followed him. And as they're walking along, they start talking, and Jesus comes along, and he, he hides himself somehow from them, and he just starts walking with them and listening to them tell the story. And these are two, of peop two people that have walked with Jesus, and now they're walking with right now, and they don't see it, and they're saying, man, we had hoped. We had hoped I thought he was going to come and redeem him. I thought he was the one that would come in and, and crush Roman rule and be the king. We had hoped. And then Jesus asked him, you know, so what are you talking about? And they're like, are you the only one that has no idea of what's going on? 
Did you not see anything that just happened in all of Jerusalem? And they tell him, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, an amazing prophet, a good man, a great things. And they say all these things about Jesus, and they missed it. They missed it because they were hoping for him to do something so much smaller than what he was actually doing. My concern for you and I is that we miss, we miss Jesus because all while we hope for something really good and that's necessary. Them being freed from Roman rule was very necessary and needed. But they misplaced it. And they're like, we had hoped. Man, we had hoped. And they were sad and they were kicking rocks as they walked and all hopes lost and it was sad. And then, they, and then what, what, they say this thing that's interesting. They say, well, and what's more, after they're telling them all the things that happened, what's more is a few of the women went to the grave and, and the, the, the headstone was moved and he wasn't in there. And we don't know what that means. And then Jesus breaks the silence, again, concealing who he is. He breaks the silence and he says in verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, Jesus begins what almost all preachers are like, man, I bet that was the best sermon ever, right? And he starts talking about, he says, he interprets Moses and all the prophets he interpreted, meaning he, he unfolds all of them, all of the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And on this walk, on this road, he's walking along saying, you guys are foolish. You missed it all along. Did you not see what I was doing? How did you miss this? And then for five miles, six miles, he just unfolds the scriptures. Now, I'm not really sure what Jesus said on that day, but I can't help but think maybe Maybe, just maybe, he went back to the creation. And he talked about how in the beginning, God made everything, and it was all so good. There was peace, this word that we call shalom, where everything was perfect. And in an instance, a serpent comes in, an apple's eaten, sin enters the world, and it is broken. And in that instance, everything that was good Everything that was beautiful, everything that was created and living the way it's supposed to was turned upside down. And in that moment, in that moment, it was, this needs to be right-sided up. And I can't help but think that maybe Jesus pointed to Genesis 3.15 where he says, where God is just now, after this has all been unfolded, and he's found, found them in the garden, and he's speaking to each, the, both the serpent, the man, and the woman, or the woman and the man. And he basically says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I can't help but Jesus pointing on that. That's pointing to Christ. And again, these disciples would say, yeah, I know, we, we've, we've heard the old text. See, what Jesus was saying is he's saying, look, God makes them a promise that redemption will come, that he will right what is in place. He will take back. He will, he will end sin and darkness. He will redeem all that is there. And Jesus is that promise. Again, we, we can't know necessarily everything that he said, but I can't help but think maybe, maybe he pointed to the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you spend any time around the church, you know this, maybe you know the song like Father Abraham. No, never mind, sorry, old church song. Um, and <laughs> you, this, it's a story essentially where, where Abraham is, is kidless for the first 70 plus years of his life. And he's kind of pining and sad, realizing that he's going to have to leave his, his, everything that is his to the people in his house and not any of his offspring. And God comes in and makes a promise to him and says, no, Abraham, you will bear a son. Your wife, Sarah, who's been barren, will bear a son. 
And, and in that instance, it takes another 20 years and a bunch of mistakes. And essentially what happens is Isaac is born and, and it's, he's beloved and he's, he's amazed. And God is, God is glorified in Abraham and Sarah's life. And then, and then God comes to Abraham and says, you know what, Abraham? It's time, it's time to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to take him. I want you to take him to this place. And I want you to sacrifice him. And if you know the story, he got up the next morning and he just, you know, went. And, and his son went with him and a, and a couple um, servants went with him. And they get about a three days journey in. And then he turns to the servants and said, the son, my son and I will go up and worship and I'll be back. And he leaves them behind and he heads up the hill. And as Isaac's heading up the hill, carrying that wood, can't, he's in there looking, going, Dad, I see the wood and you got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says something so bold. He says, the Lord will provide. Right? And so as Abraham gets up there and gets ready to, to do this, he, you know, he does it, and we know this, if you know the story, the story unfolds where the angels, an angel of the Lord stops him and says, no, you're good, you're good to go. And he says to him, Genesis twenty two sixteen through 18, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. See, many years later, another son would carry wood on his back, although God wouldn't intervene this time. And this would be the only son. It would be the only son of God, and he would hang on a cross, and he would be the sacrifice for atoning all of sin. And I can't help but Jesus pointing back, saying, don't you see it? Don't you remember? You, you, we were, we, the fall came. We needed a people of God, and so he used Abraham, and now we have a people for God. And he makes it, he makes it a relationship, no longer a deity, but we are, we, are, we are people of God because of what happened in the relationship through, through Abraham. I'm not necessarily sure exactly what Jesus said that day, but maybe, maybe he pointed specifically in Moses and the story about their desire to be free from reign and rule of the Egypt. And he went back to Exodus 3, 7 through 8, where he says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. See, God's people would always remember the covenant made through Moses on that day as Passover. And then many, many Passovers later, someone else would die. It would be the Lamb of Christ, the Passover Lamb. And he would be the one that freed them, not just from rule of Egypt, but freed them for an eternity. Not just freeing them from the rule in this place, but freed them completely Again, I'm not sure what Jesus said on that road as he walked. Could have said a number of things, but I can't help but think maybe, just maybe, he pointed to them like, do you realize that all along you have wanted what I did? In fact, let's look back to the first king. The first king, and Samuel was, Samuel was appointed king, and the people had come and said, we want a king, and Samuel's saying, no, we're not supposed to. And God says, no, they have forsaken me, and now they're forsaking you. Give them a king, but tell them. Tell them what this king will do before you do so. And so Samuel gets up and tells him, okay, fine, we'll give you a king, but just know he's going to rule over you. He's going to be harsh. It's going to be horrible. And says all these terrible things. Like, we still want a king. See, because people knew that they needed a king. And Israel wanted so badly to be able to see God, so they thought they could see him if they put a person in place. And instead of turning to God, they looked to man, when ultimately what they were needing was the Messiah king. I can't help but Jesus saying, look, you guys wanted a king. You wanted to be a legitimate country. And you took man's way for God's way. All the while, all this pointed was that you did need a king, but that king was not a man. That king was the Messiah. 
Jesus could have pointed to any one of the New Testament or the Old Testament prophecies. He could have said, as, as any one of them, they all unfold and point to him. But I can't help but think that maybe he said in Isaiah 53, 5, 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I can't help but think Jesus walking on the road going, that was him. This is Jesus. This is your prophecies. You guys know this. And, and the disciples are like, yeah, we've read that. We've read that. But all along, they kept focusing too narrowly, and they had just had lost hope. Jesus could have pointed to anything that day. The incarnated, crucified, or resurrected Jesus was walking on the road, pointing out all the scriptures to them, and yet they missed it. Which I can't help but think a few, couple thousand years later, a few more years on top of that, that you and I have all of the scriptures in front of us, and we've missed it. We've missed it. We've missed it because we're too focused in on our own selves, or what we want, and we're not paying attention to the bigger picture of redemption that God's doing. See, Jesus could have pointed to anything. He could have said he was the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the line of the tribe of Judah. All of these have turned to him. He was the Passover lamb, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth. Right? All of these pointed to him. He could have said he was the son of David who was a king greater than David. He could have said he was the suffering savior of Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23. The point is, is everything in here points to him the wisdom of Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon, the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a, establish a kingdom that would never end. See, the point is, is all along this entire thing was pointing to Jesus. And so all of us come to church on an on a Easter Sunday to celebrate what he did in resurrection, but we forget that there was a whole lot of other things unfolding to resurrection. Jesus walking right in front of you sitting with you at every meal. Have you missed him? Have you missed it? A lot of people would wonder, okay, on a day like this, well, how do we get this redemption? It's so simple that I think we want to make it more complex. It's so simple in how we do it. In fact, so many of you have heard this over and over again that you just go, yeah, yeah, I did that. And the problem with this is, is that we see this redemption as an event, like Easter is an event. And we celebrate life as if it's just one event after another when really it's a full story being untold. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just save us, it sustains us and it compels us to live more like him daily. It's not just an event, one day I believed and therefore I'm good to go, check it off the list. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess means to acknowledge is true and to enter into a covenant to live by that truth. Jesus as Lord means supreme controller. That means that he has, you have surrendered all of your misconceived lesser hopes for the greater hope and redemption that is done in Jesus Christ as your supreme controller. You believe this in your heart and Ezekiel 36 tells us that when we believe that, when we surrender that, he takes a heart of stone and removes that and gives us a heart of flesh. So it is culminated on an event, on a belief, but it doesn't stop there. We aren't just saved from something. We're saved for something. 
We're saved to be a part of the redemption that God is bringing to this world today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, in Christ we're new. And yet so many of us believe because it's an event that we can just say that that's there and then go back and living the old way when you are completely new, a new mind, a new will, a new desire, a new life created to do exactly what you were created for when you're in that newness of life. And that is to be a part of God's redemption in this world. And so some of you are here today and you've heard this over and over and over again. You've heard this and you were raised in the church or you, you don't believe it or maybe you got drugged here by a friend or you just thought, you know what, I'll pay my penance and do this. And you, you have sitting in front of you the most simplest thing ever and that is the redemption of Jesus Christ. Done through Romans 10.9. And you keep hoping for something else. You keep hoping for something else and thinking what you're hoping is actually bigger than really what it is is smaller. Your hope is, well, I'll believe when he answers this. Or I'll believe when he, and you think that you have some say in how, how good you are. When really, all of us have gone our own way. And if we minimize that, then really, why did Jesus die on the cross? And then why are we here celebrating his resurrection? See, Jesus is doing something so much bigger than just one of these events. Oftentimes, a bunch of you, and most of you here probably, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. That's awesome. I, you know, it's cool. And I want to, I think it's good. And you, you, you kind of just half-heartedly walk towards this. You think that just because you believe it's enough. If I believe just a little bit, it's enough, and I don't really have to do much, and there's no implications of it. But that's not true. Again, if the gospel only saved you, then why are we celebrating? Because let's be honest. God saved you for so much more. If we focus on just on the gospel as just saving us, then we're staring at the earth saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. God did all that for me, and he did. He did it all for me, that's right, but he didn't do it just for me. For God so loved the world. The world's clamoring for something new, a new way to live, a new way to hope, a life with meaning and peace. Jesus didn't just incarnate, live a perfect life, be crucified and raised three days later to slightly alter your life. He didn't, he didn't go through all that to just make you be able to deal with the world a little bit better. No, he did all of that to sustain and compel you to live as a part of his kingdom today, to be a part of the redemption that is happening today in this world. Could you have hoped for something so much smaller all along? Are you surrendering all of your misconceived hopes to Christ so that he can redeem all? The band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more. But I don't know what you've been hoping for. I don't know if you've been, been hoping for, for a relationship or hoping for grades or or hoping for, for a new job, or hoping for your kids to come back, or all these little things, I would, I would encourage you to continue to hope for those things, but not let those be the focus of your life. Because you can get so fine-tuned and so, so narrow in your looking that you can miss walking with Jesus right in front of you. And what I love, I love about this text is that Jesus, they show up to Emmaus and they get ready to eat and Jesus breaks bed and, and all of a sudden their eyes are opened. And they say this thing that I can't help but think that you and I should feel every time we open up this book. They say, 
Were not our hearts burning inside of us when he unfolded all of the scriptures to us? It's like their eyes were open, and you and I have the, the joy of our eyes being opened daily to God's word. But because we believe it's some event, it's some small thing, we think it's good enough to just do it once in a while or once a week. See, these were disciples of Jesus, and they missed it. These people walked with Jesus, and they missed it. So it would be safe to say that we can miss it too. So I would encourage you to, to open up the scriptures to spend some time before your Lord, your creator, and realize that he is not about just saving you, but he is about redeeming all in your life that is broken. All in this world is broken. He's, he's about turning what is flipped on its head right side up once and for all. And when he comes back, it will be done. And he graciously allows you and I to be a part of that today, to be some small part of pointing to his redemption, his work for him and his glory alone. We pray, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, everything that Easter means today. You know, in a room this size with as many people that are here, it's really, really easy for us to um, assume that everyone just kind of knows and understands the same thing, but we know that's not the truth, God. You are a, a personal God that knows every single one of us individually. You know every single thing we've done. Nothing is hidden, and yet you graciously love us. In fact, you graciously love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And we get to stand here today celebrating the fact that he did not stay in that tomb. That he was resurrected. That the tomb is empty. But that that resurrection isn't what we celebrate just that he live, is living. But we celebrate the fact that redemption is now ours because of what he did on the cross. Redemption is now a part of this world. A part of your kingdom coming in and crashing in over all of us. So Father, I pray that we would, we would zoom out a little bit. We would spend some time letting your redemption sink in, God, that we would, we would stop hoping for less, for misconceived hopes that really don't matter in the scheme of things, God, for the, the pains and the hardships in our lives, that we would, we would surrender all of it to you, knowing that you are about redemption, you are about redeeming. In fact, you showed us from the very beginning it was a promise that began then and that you finished and completed in the cross and that you will finish and complete when Jesus comes back again. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.